Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Anyway, having said that, we are in the uh, middle of our three-part series called We the Church. And uh, again, last week we spoke about why bother attending church. And we spoke about that last week and you can download that message and get all the details as to what I was sharing. But in a sense, I was addressing this present trend, particularly in the church in the Western world, of people coming to church less and less, certainly not as frequently as they used to. And we address the issue by way of introduction of what I want to drill down today and next week on the two main reasons I believe that the church needs to gather together in 2018. And while I believe it will always gather together, and those two reasons are, number one, we are the church, which means that we're engaged in the mission in some meaningful way. And the second is to reach the unchurched, in other words, to hear and experience the news of Christ's love for them. And we can get it down to two words, really, reach and reproduce. We want to reach people that are far from God and we want to reproduce ourselves in the lives of others. In other words, the future of the church will be built on Christians who want to serve, share and engage in the mission of the local church. And so we talked about that last week. If you want to know more, please, please, please just download that. Get on our podcast channel or on our website and you can have a listen to that again and again and get it into hands of your family or friends. But we're going to just continue on from that theme today. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 20, reading from verse 20 to 24. And it says this, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, And kneeling down, asked a favour of him. These two boys' names are James and John. James and John. What is it you want, he asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at the right hand or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. And this next verse, if you want to know what describes church, just look at this next verse. When the ten heard about this, or when the rest of the church heard about this, they were ticked off. They were mad as heck. They were indignant with the two brothers. For those of you who have rose-coloured glasses this morning and think the church in 2018 needs to get back to the biblical times and the biblical church, uh, we're there. (laughs) We're there. And what I love about this particular moment is that Jesus recognises the tension that's in the room. Basically, in this story, we have one well-intentioned mother. And let's be honest, all the mums out there, who wouldn't want the best for their children? And so she's positioning her kids up front and centre and asking a really audacious ask of Jesus in regard to her two sons. Also in the story, the spotlight's on the two sons who probably have a lot of ambition. Who knows? We don't know this, but maybe it was the boy's idea to get their mother to ask Jesus. That happens in church. Hey, mum, can you ask the pastor? 
I'm not saying that's what's going on, but it's possible, yeah? So we've got one well-intentioned mother, we've got two ambitious boys, and we've got 10 ticked-off disciples. Sounds like church. (laughs) And I say that with a smile on my face because Jesus is seeing all this going on and He's not perturbed. He's not upset. He recognises what's going on. He recognises what's driving this conversation. And what's driving this conversation is a desire for greatness. And Jesus recognises that. And so basically He takes this moment in time to address the elephant in the room and to do a teaching moment on just how to become great. And what I love, instead of pushing things under the carpet, which the church has a habit of doing really well, and this is what I know, if you ever drop an egg sandwich on the floor and you can't be bothered picking it up and cleaning up after yourself and you go for the easy option of just trying to push it under the carpet or behind a curtain because it's easy, This is what I know. One, it doesn't go away. And two, the smell only gets worse. And Jesus is teaching us what to do when you've got a well-intentioned mother, two ambitious children and 10 ticked-off disciples. What He does, He calls them all together. He says, let's talk about this. That's church. When we have problems, we get the right people in the room and we talk about it. And so Jesus uses this moment to teach them how to be great, not to rebuke them about their desire to be great. And it goes on to say in Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, I imagine Jesus just pausing, whoever wants to become great, and the disciples are like, yeah. Now let me ask this question this morning. Who wants to be great? I know you do. We don't follow football teams that we do in order for them to be weak. We want to follow great football teams and that's why we celebrate their wins. We want greatness. And so Jesus says, you want to be great? Then let me tell you how to be great. Whoever wants to become great, you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Then he says, just as the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus grabs this moment and uses it as a teaching moment. And he tells them basically, if you want to be great, then you need to know how to serve. If you want a great life, you need to serve. If you want a great marriage, you need to serve. Why is the divorce rate as high as it is? Because I think we've forgotten how to serve one another. We get selfish and we just make it all about us. And so we lose marriages because we don't have the ability, nor do we have the desire to serve one another. But if you want a great marriage, you've got to serve one another. And if you want a great church, the same thing applies. You have to serve. Everyone shout out, serve. And so today, the subtitle of my message is simply this, Saved to Serve. And I want to look at three important thoughts about serving today. And the first one is simply this, the foundation of the serve. Shout out at me if you would, foundation. Foundation. The foundation of the serve is really important. You see, when it comes to serving, serving is a double-edged sword. What do I mean by that? Well, serving is both the answer and the problem to church life. 
If you want a great church, we need to serve the church. But if I'm honest, and if you're honest, probably one of the biggest problems when it comes to the church and some of the biggest fallout when it comes to the church is in the area of serving. Because people, people feel used and abused and they feel like they're unappreciated. And so it's also very problematic. And that's not a surprise to me and it shouldn't be a surprise to us because wherever God's answer is, the devil wants to bring a counterfeit. God wants to undo whatever possible answer there is. And so the answer is serving, but the devil's distorted serving in order to think that it's actually not the answer. And if uh, you haven't heard somebody say, I'm disgruntled with the church because I feel used, maybe it's because you've said it yourself. And if I'm honest with you, even as a pastor, I I felt myself saying that. I I feel used and I feel abused. And so if I'm feeling that, I think uh, it's okay for you to feel that. But what we do with what we feel is really, really important. Is this making sense today? And so turn with me, if you would, to Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 8. The context of this passage here is that Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to go into the desert place And he ends up spending 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. And over that time, he was tempted and tested by the devil on at least three occasions that the Bible records, maybe more, but certainly three occasions. And it's this particular occasion that we want to drill down on. And it was the last time that the Scripture records that the devil tempted Jesus in the desert on that occasion. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love this because Jesus is addressing that worship and service is not an either or scenario. It's a both and scenario. You know, I think some of us have developed a theology around Mary and Martha and those sisters. One obviously lent more toward just worship. She was kind of like the creative, you know, who would sit at the feet of Jesus and just worship. And Martha was in the kitchen and she was serving and working. And and the creative, reflective worship type people love that story because Jesus rebukes the Martha in the story. And, and, And we use that as an opportunity to say, see, it's not about serving, it's about worship. And if that's your understanding of that text, then you've missed the point. Jesus addresses Martha not because Martha was doing the wrong thing. It's that Martha chose the wrong time to do what she was doing. And Jesus was like, right now you're bothered by many things, but I just want to talk to you. And so serving is great. It's not either or, it's a both and. But on that occasion, Jesus wanted Martha to join Mary and the others so that she could sit down and be spoken to. Uh, There is also a time where Martha's have to get back in the kitchen and they have to take Mary by the hand and take Mary with them because they want to just keep worshipping. And so it's not either or, it's a both and scenario. And what I get from this particular 
passage of Scripture that Jesus shares is that God never intended serving Him to come before loving Him. Worship the Lord and serve Him, the Bible says. In other words, there is a divine pattern and a divine order in Scripture to follow. In our church, we have a mission statement that says, we believe that we exist to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. And that not only summarises what we seek and desire to do as a church, within that pattern, there is also a divine order. Notice the order is to connect people to God first. That they may find a community called the church. And that out of that community, that we would help you to find your purpose in order to serve God according to your God shape. That divine pattern also has a divine order. If I was to describe to you that another way, I could say it this way, that it's faith first, family and function. Faith, family and function. You see, as I've already mentioned, there is a divine pattern and a divine order. In other words, we were born for a relationship with God. That relationship was severed because of our sin. And Jesus came in order to rekindle that which had been lost. And what had been lost was a relationship with God. And so Christianity in its purest, simplest form is about getting back the relationship that was lost with God the Father. His desire is that we have relationship with Him. And out of that relationship, we'd be placed in a community of people, a family that we call the church, And out of that gathering together, we would find our purpose, our God shape and function out of that. The problem comes when we put function first. When we start having function conversations before faith conversations, it puts the heart of God out of kilter. And when you're a leader in the church and uh, you're trying to fill rosters, a lot of our conversations can become function conversations. And we do need to have function conversations, but it can't be the expense of faith conversations and family conversations. Is that making sense this morning? And as I've already said, the problem comes when we put function first. And that's why for me, it always breaks my heart when I see people leave a church, go to another church, and they find themselves on a roster. They find themselves on the stage playing in the band within two or three or four weeks of being there. And and I I don't fully understand that. Because often people leave with issues and attitudes toward previous leadership and or churches. And this is what I know. Wherever you go, you be. And if you have a problem, if you have an issue, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you take that with you. And uh, a lot of it isn't around this, I feel used, I feel abused. And if you feel used and abused, then go to another church and they put you in a function role. It's a recipe for disaster. Because while you may feel validated for a short time, it's not sustainable. And we don't want to put people in positions without having a faith conversation. We want to have Jesus conversations. And if you're new to church, we want to give you a taste of who we are as a family because we have certain values in this house. And we need to know if there's an alignment with our values and your values. And if we just put you into function and there's not those same values and you're not good with God, it's going to create further problems down the track. Is this making sense to anyone this morning? Thank you for that. I appreciate that. 
See, the problem is this, and I, I want you to catch this. this. I want this to be a real sealer moment for us, that pregnant pause, that wow moment. If you serve the organisation, or in this case, the church, you will eventually get disappointed. The reason you'll get disappointed is because the organisation will never give as much back to you as you give to it. Why is there so much disappointment in the church? Because we feel entitled. Whenever you serve an organisation, it will always lead to entitlement. And entitlement is this. I've served you more than you've served me. Now you owe me something. There are many people who leave churches feeling like that last church owes me something because they were serving the organisation. And wherever you serve an organisation, you will always be disappointed because eventually somewhere, sometime into the future, you'll come to this conclusion that I have served the organisation better than the organisation has served me. Are you with me this morning? And this is why I believe... We have so much hurt, resentment. People feel like unappreciated. They don't love me. They don't appreciate what I've done for them because we're serving the organisation. But if we choose to serve Jesus, you'll never be disappointed because you can never outgive Jesus. The reason we get disappointed with the church is because eventually somewhere, somehow, someone is going to let you down because they're not perfect. But when we choose to serve Jesus, we'll never be let down because He is perfect in all of His ways. He's perfect in all that He does. Jesus has already done more for us than we could ever do for Him in a thousand lifetimes. If you could live to be 1,000 years of age, you could never outgive Jesus. It's little wonder that Jesus said to the devil in Matthew chapter 4, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve who? He didn't say serve the church. He did not say serve the church. I'll say that again. Jesus did not say to the devil in the desert, serve the church. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Him only. See, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because when our church turned 24 in February, I've been getting this question more and more as the church gets older and older. People ask me this all the time. Christians and pastors alike say, how do you keep going? And what they're saying is, I felt pain you surely have felt pain based on the sheer longevity of years. And the truth is, when it comes to pain, I've felt pain. If you've got a betrayal story, I've got a few. If you've got a disappointment story, I've got a few. If you've got a, I've sold into that person and they just didn't do anything with it, I've got a few of them. And as I have been forced to answer this question, how do I keep going? I can only come up with one answer for you and it's the one I'm trying to get across to you today. I never said yes to serving the church. I took a job in the church, but I never said yes to serving the church because the mandate was not to serve the church. The mandate was to serve Jesus. 
And it's out of my relationship with Him. And the proximity of the family that I choose to serve. You see, this pattern works across every area of life. If I just use marriage as an example, the same thing applies. See, when I go home tonight, I'm not going to go home to my wife because we're married. Marriage is the organisation. And if I only do something because of the organisation called marriage, eventually entitlement will creep in and I'll start to think that actually I do more for her than she does for me. And if she only comes home, my wife that is, to, because we're married, entitlement will creep into her and she'll start to think I do more for him than he does for me. Because the organisation is not a strong enough pull and it's not a foundationally correct pull to get us to go back home. I, I'm not going to go home because there's a ring on my finger. I'm not going to go home tonight because I have a certificate that says we're married. That's not, that is not what's going to draw me home. What's going to draw me home is that I'm madly and passionately in love with the wife of my youth and I just can't wait to be with her. That's why we got married. And I thank God I've never lost that love for the woman that I married. And it was out of this love that I had for her, we decided to start a family. And so we got married. We entered into an organisation called marriage because of a love relationship. Doesn't that sound like Christianity? We give our life to Jesus, not the church. We give our life to Jesus and out of our love for Jesus, we want to enter into His family. And that family is called the church. When I, gave, uh, when I fell in love with Kath, I wanted to start a family. And so I put a ring on it. She took on my name and we created this incredible little family of two. It was cute. <laughs> and then we decided to extend that family, grow that family. And we've been given three of the greatest gifts ever in the form of our three children. And I want you to know, I'm going to go back home tonight and see my kids, not because I'm their dad. I'm going to go back to see my kids because I love them to bits. And I want to be with them. It's not my title that draws me back. It's my love relationship that draws me back to them. I'm preaching far better than you're responding. My love relationship with my kids and my wife is what draws me back to my address, that place that I call my home. It's not the home. I don't think, oh, I better go home because I, I, I like our two-storey home. No, that's not what draws me back. I like our garden. I like our swimming pool. That's not what draws me back. We have those things, but that's not what draws me back. What draws me back is my relationship. But here's the cool thing. In this love relationship... A family was birthed. And now with every family, we have responsibilities. And as our kids have got older, I want them to serve the family. Because anything less than serving the family is just laziness. I don't want our kids to be consumers and not contributors. I want them to contribute to our home. And so all of our kids have jobs to do. And our youngest, BJ, she's 11, and she has jobs. And one of her jobs is to make her lunch. And she's been doing that for a couple of years now. 
Some might say slave labour. I, I say wise parenting. Because if I love my wife and let my wife do all the kids' jobs, is that really loving my wife? If my kids can do something for themselves and I keep letting Kath do it, am I really loving her? No, I want our kids to do something because we love mum. And there was a time mum used to do it for you, now you can do it for yourself. And this is what I also learned. If you can do it for yourself, BJ, you can make your brother's lunch. You have two good hands, he doesn't. And then I thought, if you can make your brother's lunch, guess what? You can make your sister's lunch. And actually, while you're at it, you can make mum and dad's lunch too. And so serving has come out of her being part of the family. She's looking at me like, yeah. I'll get you back tonight. That's what she's saying. I, I know that look. So I'll, I'll take you to McDonald's. It's okay. A little bit of bribery every now and then doesn't hurt parenting. Okay. But it wasn't because you're in the family. I don't tell our kids, because you're in the family. No, 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 no. That's not going to do it. No, it's because we love one another. We keep bringing it back to a love story. Our serving in the church has to come back to a love story. And I'll tell you why the serving stops, because we've forgotten the love story. We've forgotten the fact that we were destined to eternal damnation. But Jesus left the splendour of heaven and served humanity. We forgot that. And we say, oh, I love Jesus, I just have a problem with the church. That's, that's impossible. That attitude with the church is what keeps you at distance from God. Because sin and His glory, they don't mix. And so we serve one another because we love one another. I've preached this three times now, and every time I get to this point, it's as quiet as this. <laughs> and when you've got a smaller congregation, it's easy to have quietness. When you've got this many people in a room and it's that quiet, that's a skill. So I think when it comes to your marriage, we've got to remember why we got married. None of us got married to get a ring on our finger. That was never the goal. It wasn't to have a certificate. Somewhere, some time ago, we fell in love with one another. And that's what we've got to remind ourselves on consistently in order for marriage to be healthy. Because where we're in love with one another, the family will be healthy and strong. And out of that, we will serve one another. And I think today is one of those moments we say, hang on, where are we at with Jesus? Because serving always starts with a love story. If you were to say to me, is this a drive to get extra volunteers? I would say you haven't heard a thing I've said. I would say this is a talk about getting back to the heart of worship, getting back to what matters most. And out of a love relationship, we appreciate the family God has placed us in. And out of being part of a family, we serve. Do you know why I know this works? Because every time someone's looking for volunteers, they want our kids to serve because they know our kids work really hard. And they weren't born like that. They came about some understanding through the teaching and the training week after week, year after year. That's why I know it works. And so the first thing is the foundation of the serve the second is the motivation of the serve. 
If we can have the band come up, that'd be fantastic. The motivation of the serve. You see, the right foundation changes the motivation of the serve. This foundation moves us from a I have to attitude to I get to attitude. In Romans chapter 1, sorry, 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is true and proper worship. Paul says that we are living sacrifices. You know what that tells me? That we can actually get off the altar. Living sacrifices suggest that we have a choice. A dead sacrifice doesn't have a choice. But a living sacrifice has to make choices. And Paul's saying, because you are a living sacrifice and because you have choices to make, let me remind you of why we need to make the right choices. Because it's in view of His mercy. It's not because of what you've done, it's because of what He's done. We serve because Christ first served us. And then He reminds us of the what. That we're to offer our bodies as a sacrifice. Now this is kind of like Old Testament language, but the reality is we're not ever going to have to step onto an altar per se with fire underneath. That's not actually going to be our reality. So how does this look like for us? I think one of the ways that we put ourselves on an altar is when we put ourselves on a roster. We place ourselves on a roster and we sacrifice ourselves in serving the family that God has placed us in out of a love relationship for what He has done for us. And we serve. We serve. You see, if we're going to sit at home and just pick our favourite songs on podcast and our favourite sermons, we don't need to gather together. But this is a game changer. This draws us together. Because we can serve one another. And thirdly, the conclusion of the serve. See, serving others, sorry, serving helps others. Why should we serve? What's the outcome of our serving? Well, others are helped. People are very quick to talk about the burnout in church life without looking at the why. And is it possible that some of the burnout stories happen because so few are doing so much? Is it because we have far too many consumers and not enough contributors? Which means that we're part of the solution. We're part of the solution. So serving helps others, but serving also helps you. It's been a proven fact that there are many personal benefits to those that volunteers. There are psychological benefits, physical benefits. Your self-esteem can grow as a result of serving. You can have a greater quality of life. These are all proven facts that I don't have time to go into today. But there's incredible benefits to you personally when we choose to serve. But like I said before, is this a message about increasing our volunteer base? Well, yes and no. Indirectly, it is. But directly, it's a message about a love story. And I think sometimes when you've been in church for a long period of time, we forget the why we do what we do. 
We see it in marriages that grow old and tired and weary. And we just, we just get in the motion of just doing what married couples do. We go home, we go to work, we go home, we go to work. But Jesus never intended that for your marriage. He intended that we would remain in a love relationship, husband and wife, children, local church. And a love relationship doesn't mean we won't have problems. We saw that in Jesus' time. If Jesus, the greatest leader of all, could have problems in his church, in his discipleship group, it's to be expected that we'll have them. But you know what? If we keep it about the love story, we'll be able to work through our problems. We'll be able to work through our difficulties. We'll be able to work through our differences. Because it's not about us. It's about him. And we do all of this because God has left us here on planet Earth to help a group of people who are not yet part of his church. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 